Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steyer-Blondie. This is Roland Ozebal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Consequence Uncut a series that gives listeners and readers a deeper dive into our features with major artists. For this episode, we're talking to Genesis Owusu for Consequences August Cosine. When I was a kid, I used to write short stories, and then I transitioned to poetry, and then I transitioned to to music and making albums and, and projects. And I realized I've just been a storyteller the whole time, but the medium has just changed. So, another episode of Consequence Uncut. I'm Mijon, lead podcast producer at Consequence. And I'm Jonah, an editorial coordinator here at Consequence. So, Jonah, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm excited to join and and make my first Consequence Uncut debut. I know. We have more than two writers that work for Consequence. Like, we're we're such a large organization at this point. (laughs) I know. I can't wait for the Christmas party. (laughs) Like all three of us. Yeah. <laughs> On Zoom. No, no. But um, kudos to you for this interview. I had so much fun editing, listening to it. And there's something so poetic about, you know, the medium that you're using to record it crashing while you're trying to have a conversation about existential crises and like COVID and like the world shutting down. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say that that was God talking to us because we're talking <laughs> about existentialism. So just, you know, maybe that was Sisyphus himself dropping the boulder and uh, <laughs> crashing the Zoom servers. And, and you know, that that's the job. Sometimes things go great when you're a music journalist, and sometimes it's 9 o'clock on a Wednesday and you're troubleshooting and you end up just getting a call from Australia. <laughs> from a mystery number, and you're like, are you trying to steal my life? <laughs> There's too many digits here. I know, right? This is happening. Yeah, so listeners, we do have to explain that because Genesis had to call in, there's a slightly different timbre to the interview, but it is deep and wonderful nonetheless. You can just pretend like it's your morning commute and you have AM radio on. Yeah, literally. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, but this conversation was so great. I can't believe you have a like a philosophical tattoo. I know. I can't believe that I actually admitted it. <laughs> <laughs> and what was so great is like, you know, because as someone that like speaks French as a second language, you can't study like higher level French without studying Albert Camus and maybe like a little bit of Kafka. And it was it was just so funny to see that channeled into music. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know what? Kudos to you because I tried to learn French, partly inspired by my high school obsession with Camus, and uh, it it didn't go so well. So, um, <laughs> you know, maybe after this, I can have you tutor me. I know, I know. Um, no, but the the interview was so great because you know, like I I was wondering like what happened to artists during COVID. Like, did they just kind of like close up shop, or were they actually like? taking that time to really create like something as great as this new album. Yeah. Yeah. And, and something that was interesting to me too, that I just, I, I found myself reflecting on, you know, since I talked to him was how, you know, his first record was mostly pulled together during like the height, height of the pandemic. So, you know, mm -hmm. he's in his room, he's whatever, he's not seeing people. And that was more of his like just collection of, so you know, I, I don't, I hate to call it a collection of songs album, but less like structurally cohesively one thing. Mm -hmm. Where this one, he wrote a lot of it on the road and, and a, in conjunction with COVID and everything like that. And this one is the one that is like straight down the line, like concept album, narrative. There's a character, there's arcs. Like it's crazy to me that the one that was produced in multiple different cities is the one that has like the one singular vision and the mm -hmm. one that was just him like making sense of all the time he had on his hands was the one that was a little bit more scatterbrained. Yeah. I mean, there was something so real about the way that he articulated that usually that first album, kind of like Alanis Morissette, is just like everything that's wrong in your life. <laughs> and then after that, that's where the real work begins, where you actually have to say, okay, I've like basically like put my heart and soul out there, but now I, I still need to make music to like support myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like he said in the interview, it's, it's funny. His manager comes to him and says, you know, hey, let's have a conversation. This next one might need to be a little bit more commercially viable. And then he sets out to do that and accidentally writes a concept album about a roach trying not to get squished by the foot of God. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? We joke about that in the interview, but especially going back to listen to it after we talk, uh, it's crazy how much fun some of these songs actually are. And like, you almost can see it like breaking through to a top 20 billboard or something. You're like, gosh, this is a weird existential left field genre mess, <laughs> but like, why am I bumping so hard right now? I know. I mean, it's it's almost like when the Flaming Lips had like the audacity to make like a whole album about Yoshimi fighting giant robots. <laughs> and like, you were like, wait, what the hell are they doing? But then like, you listen to it and you're like, no, this is great. Like, this is a classic album, you know? That's. I think that's a great comparison. I really do. So everyone get really excited for the new Yoshimi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's now a roach. It's now a roach. <laughs> And the robots are God. Yeah, literally. So please enjoy my conversation with Genesis Owusu. You can also check out the full Cosine article on Consequence.net. There is a link in the show notes. And please subscribe to the podcast feed to stay up to date with these in-depth interviews. And please, please, please leave us a review. We want to know what you think. We want to make sure that we're improving the podcast. And it helps other people find the podcast and enjoy it themselves. And if you don't like the podcast, don't leave a review because we don't like that. I can't handle it. Please. <laughs> I know. No bad reviews. Leave good reviews. Thank you. <laughs> don't make fun of my tattoo, please. <laughs> if you leave a review, we will post an image of the tattoo in the article. <laughs> <laughs> if Just this kidding. gets X amount of likes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now I'll turn it over to Jonah and Genesis for this interview. 
please enjoy. So something that I always kind of like to start off asking when it's an artist who is coming out with their sophomore release, coming into it, if there was ever any anxiety or maybe a voice in the back of your head that was yelling like sophomore slump at you or any type of worry, um, like before you had it kind of all pulled together. Obviously, yeah. you know how it worked out now, but at least before, you know, however. <laughs> yeah, no, like all kinds of external pressures, but I think mainly internal desires to top what I had come out with, with, with my debut, but at the same time, just figuring out what I wanted to do and what I wanted to say. As a person, I feel like I'm quite reserved and, you know, I only speak when I feel like I have something to say. With that first album, I feel like I put all of my life experiences that I wanted to talk about into that first album. And then we went through COVID and then I did some touring and then it's like, okay, time to make album two. And it's like, oh shit, <laughs> like, what am I going to, you know? So there was a there was a long period of time where I was trying to figure out, yeah, what I, what I wanted to say, what was actually going to be genuine and authentic because, you know, I have a hard time coming to terms with my art as like simply a, a product that I have to like just mm-hmm. churn out to keep the lights on. But yeah, so that was, that was kind of just like a, a long period of discovery and, and learning how to be inspired by new things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm, I, I can imagine that between album one and two, having like the tail end of the pandemic and getting whisked on tour, I, I know I've talked to a lot of artists that are like, sometimes it's hard to pull from your life because you're not really living like your actual Mm. life right then. You're kind of just like either doing work basically, or especially again, like 2021, 2020 locked in. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. I personally had to pull from experiences that were outside of life. I I got really interested in like books and plays that I'd never read and, and like how those books and plays explain like philosophies about life that I'd never heard of, like absurdism and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It was real like, <laughs> like quarter life crisis. What does it mean? <laughs> the search for an answer to my problems almost became like the point of the album in itself, mm-hmm. in a way, because the album kind of goes through the struggle of like figuring out life. Like how am I meant to do this in such a chaotic and absurd world? What is the point of me doing it? Is there a point of me doing it? Maybe I can create my own point. Maybe like the chaos and absurdity of life is like the gift in itself. It kind of goes through this existential journey of of figuring out life and and persisting and um, surviving through obstacles, which kind of came from the confusion of like, what's the point of me making this music right now? Like, what do I actually want to say? So it kind of all fed into each other. Yeah, yeah, I was actually really excited to ask you about that because I saw how much people like Camus and Kafka influenced the album. And as somebody who went through a heavy Camus and Kafka phase and has like a Mythicisophus tattoo that he mm-hmm. kind of regrets, but not really. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I was like, I'm, I immediately perked up. And then, of course, listening to the record, oh, I'm like, yeah, you could totally see it. I mean, even just the Roach kind of being the protagonist, it's like, oh, there's the metamorphosis right there. Mm, yeah yeah exactly exactly i read the metamorphosis for the first time in my life like last year to i'm sure the the delight of all my english teachers back in high school um i immediately just thought it was so hilariously on point to like 
this the the world that we live in today even though it was written decades ago like how he the main character like turns into this huge vermin and the, the very first thing he thinks of is like oh shit how am i gonna get to work how get to work? Like, what's my boss you know like what's, what's my boss gonna think like i thought that was so on point like the absurdity of the world that we've been living in for the past few years like pandemics here in australia like bushfires crazy hail and, mm-hmm. and like economic downfall war that we're able to see on our phones every morning and we're just like yep we're not just sitting tired like keep walking like it's like it's so almost hilariously absurd but also strangely inspiring like the stubbornness of like the human will to survive and persevere and just like keep moving on to a to a new day yeah. And so is that one of the reasons or, or inspirations where you kind of took like a bigger picture narrative approach to this album? Like, you know, the quote unquote concept album is trying to tell like this Kafka ass Camusian story. Yeah, definitely. I felt like in my personal life up until that point, I think I'd said a lot of the things that I'd really wanted to say. So I feel like the, the way to counteract that without just uh, while staying true and genuine to something that I would actually want to say is to go bigger picture and mm-hmm. um, yeah, just create a story that I felt was um, more akin to like a, a more universal struggle rather than just simply a personal one. I wanted to ask too, like more about the like construction of a concept album. Like, is that, is that freeing in a way? Is it limiting at all? Like, you know, jumping into this rather than just kind of like trying to make a bunch of songs. How, what was it, the writing and recording process? like? I feel like for me, I learned that it's kind of the only way I know how to do it. I, <laughs> I literally tried to, you know, I came in like over here in Australia, my first album, Smiling With No Teeth, it did mm-hmm. really well critically which i'm like very happy for um but you know as prices explode with inflation and blah 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 like i'm still technically like living paycheck to paycheck you could say mm-hmm. but you know like yeah. it's not a, it's not a stable life so you know me and my manager had a very logical and and real conversation about okay stay true to yourself but you know maybe we can make something a bit more accessible something that you know can bring some revenue in so you can live a more simple life yeah i literally went into the album okay yeah okay we're gonna we're gonna make some hits and then yeah. up making like an album about a fucking roach trying to run away from god like i thought like i realized it was really i wasn't really like capable of like working like that it's um it's I kind of realized that I I just I just want to be a storyteller and mm-hmm. you know when I was a kid I used to write short stories and then I transitioned to poetry and then I transitioned to to music and making albums and, and projects and I realized I've just been a storyteller the whole time but the medium has just changed so yeah it kind of just went full circle in in that sense and with with the start of this album I I literally wrote the story like i wrote the story of, of the roach running and running and running trying not to get stepped on by god and then the album became like how would this story sound so that was actually mm-hmm. the process like i i wrote the story and then you know in between touring I, I was trying to find the time to make the album so it's making a lot of it in la and then parts of it in australia uh, with 
bunch of different really talented producers. Um, like, you know, a lot, a few of the songs were, were made by the same band uh, that I made Smiling No Teeth with. But then mm-hmm. some of the producers in LA were like these huge pop behemoth like producers, like, like, I'm talking like Maroon 5, Madonna, like <laughs> yeah. they, they produce like that type of like huge stadium pop. And then, you know, somehow, you know, they wanted to get freaky with me and write albums about roaches, which was, which was <laughs> sick. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how, how the how the process went. It was a lot more like start and stop mm-hmm. and, and spotty than, than, than the first album where I made it kind of during COVID. So I kind of had all the time and free reign in the world i kind of had to yeah find the time to to make it this time that's so funny to me that the process being more scattered somehow led it to be more of like a a cohesive i sound like the wrong word because the last album wasn't not cohesive but like you know what i mean like like very focused in on Mm. this this thematic arc and this narrative arc whereas when you were just at your house during COVID, that was the one that was a little bit more grab bag and everything. That's so funny. Yeah, 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 it is. I think it's because the last album was pulled from a lot of different experiences in my life. And I kind of used genre and sound as like a pastiche and draw a little collage of like moments in, in time in my life. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Earlier, we were talking about how, you know, you still, you could consider like a paycheck to paycheck, you know, it's not a super stable gig all the time. So kind of with that in mind, I'm curious what it was like then to step out on Madison Square Garden stage opening for Paramore in front of how many freaking people? Yeah, it was, it was surreal. I, I thought it would be like a long time before I got to grace that stage, but you know, I took the, took the shortcut. Um, <laughs> So yeah, they were they were like really lovely people, um, super hospitable, which is nice because you don't get to say that all the time for artists and bands that big. Um, but yeah, it was it was surreal. It was, was kind of cool. It was cool being the support act as well because it's like it's there's an inherent challenge in that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, coming coming on onto a stage that big with that many people who. 99% of them won't know who you are at all. And you kind of have to like explosively and suavely woo them over um, so that they like could give a fuck about who you are. And um, yeah, you can convert some fans onto your side, which I think I did every night. Um, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was a fun little challenge and a, and a really fun tour, tour and exercise to do with them. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was even just on like, I don't know, like just doing general research for this and your name popping up on Reddit and stuff and and 
the Paramore fans were like, no idea who this guy was, but he was awesome. And I was like, it's awesome that he's winning over the Paramore fans. Because, you know, I know that you can get pretty hard rocking when you're beat sometimes. But at the same time, you know, it's still quite different than <laughs> Haley Williams and her jam. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, luckily, like, I think a lot of the fans were, were pretty uh, open-minded to seeing and hearing new things. And, you know, we always try and come in with a bang, so I'm, I'm glad that uh, quite a few of them appreciated it. Yeah, yeah, and then I know that coming up in just a few months here, you're out uh, on your own headlining gigs, right? Yeah, yeah, back in the U.S. going to be very, very wild building that show right now so making sure it is like as chaotic and fire and brimstone as it needs to be <laughs> i was gonna ask is there gonna be like uh i don't know some like crazy existential stage prop or <laughs> the place is gonna burn down halfway through and everyone gets to face their own mortality yeah. or something nuts yeah it wouldn't be a genesis solution show without it <laughs> and something i always like to ask um people based out of the U.S. too is is if there's if you can tell any difference when you come here in terms of the crowds and and how they just react to your music and how they treat each other and and what the spaces are like and and the vibes of those rooms Mm, I think it's really like city by city LA crowds are so different to like New York crowds Mm. like back here in Australia like uh Sydney crowd crowds are so different to to Melbourne crowds it's really interesting to see going city to city how even when they like something how differently they react to how they like something like some people will try to sing along when they know they don't know the lyrics <laughs> like some people will just like scream and headbang some people some people won't do anything until the song ends and then they erupt like they'll they'll stand completely still until the song ends and then they're like ah that was the greatest shit I've ever seen in my life so yeah it's really interesting to see how, how different cities yeah, just just uh, show their appreciation. Yeah, yeah, that's so funny. Okay, I did skip one just with all the madness, but um, going back to the album a little bit right before we wrap up here, um, I did want to touch on the visual side of it too because I know you've put a lot of effort into it and it's really cool. I, I always love seeing an artist have like a whole vision for everything from the cover art to like, you know, the stage show to even like the Instagram and social posts and what you're wearing. And, and I know you were collaborating with, um, oh man, why is her name losing my Lisa Rehana. Yes, yes, and and I thought that was so cool. Yeah. So tell me about why you think you know the visual visual side of of your work is is important and why you put so much effort into it. It's kind of been a thing that I have done or tried to do for most of my career, and I think it's a thing that comes innately. Like when I think about music, I naturally think of the big picture. Like I naturally think like what is this gonna look like in a video what is what are the clothes what 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 clothes sound like this <laughs> like what moves on stage like convey what this sound is like and vice versa like when i think of a music video idea sometimes i think of the, the video idea first and then i'm like okay what sound would suit this visual yeah i kind of always think in a whole package deal and every medium and facet is kind of just one puzzle piece to the bigger picture so yeah so then I just try and I just try and execute that and you know with this album cycle I was lucky enough to, to work with Lisa Rehana who's a, a 
a visual artist. Like we, my manager and I found her from um, this new contemporary art museum um, in Sydney that, that opened up and she had a huge installation there. Like she's not a, like Leaving the Light was her first ever music video. Like she doesn't do that. She does like fine, fine art. Um, so it was really cool being able to work with someone on that caliber. Um, because yeah, usually I, I, I definitely have a hand in, a, a real deep hand in, in every facet, which is fun. Mm-hmm. But also it was nice to be able to like do what I do best and then kind of pass it off to someone else who does what they do best. Let her put her own spin on how it works visually while I provide her with the music and, and the conceptual ideas. Um, yeah, it was really cool bouncing off of someone like that. Man, I'll tell you, just uh, hearing how you, you build your music up and then the whole world of art around it, you're making me excited for whenever you direct your first movie. <laughs> yeah, man. Wait on it. Wait on it. Great. All right, well, with that, um, I'll just open it up just in case there's anything else you want to make sure people know about the record or about the tour or anything. Um, and again, I just, I'm really fucking excited for people to hear it when the whole thing drops. I think, you know, hearing the singles was really fun, and that's one thing, but just listening to to bottom is like an entirely different beast yeah thank you man thank you i appreciate that i appreciate the support and the kind words hope to see you in a show yeah dude i I was just about to say i hope i can uh scrounge by i forget if how close to uh, i'm in like deep in the midwest and i forget how close you're coming to the midwest but i'm gonna try my damnedest to get out there all right hopefully hopefully fingers crossed Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.